the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back as we head into our second hour today. We have spoken a lot, actually, this week, as it turns out, about the importance of the study of American history, uh, in large part springboarding off the earlier in this week birthday commemoration of the birthday of Ronald Reagan, whose farewell message from the White House was the importance, of course, of studying American history. And then in talking a little bit about its perversions, whether it's from uh, the Disney Corporation in their latest cartoon or the ongoing trouble of the 1619 Project, which has debuted a uh, new feature and a new special on the uh, video uh, channel of Hulu. Uh, Helpful uh, in understanding all of these issues and problems is Professor Miles Smith. Miles Smith IV, I should say. He is a uh, he is a professor of history at Hillsdale College, not uh, an institution I need to introduce you to. But as a first time guest, Miles Smith, professor, thank you for joining us as I introduce you to our audience. Thank you so much for having me, Seth. It's a delight. Uh, you had a very important piece up at National Review. Hulu's slick sixteen nineteen documentary can't save Nicole Hannah Jones's shoddy history. We'll get to that in a moment, but as I like to do with all first-time guests, uh, Professor, tell the audience a little bit about yourself, any any autobiography you'd like to uh, render for the audience just to get to know you a little bit and how you came to be doing what you're doing. Yeah, well, I, uh, I, um, I'm a professor here at Hillsdale, and I've been here for uh, six years. I um, uh, This was my first job, and so I, I uh, went to take a job a little bit closer to home, um, in southeast virginia i'm from north carolina um but i miss i missed it up here so i came back as soon as i can so uh, i'm i'm the token southerner in my department so uh, i i've learned to love uh cold weather as best i can and to uh to enjoy the best of the midwest and it's really it's a wonderful place uh to be so yeah i i am i'm i'm uh, a college history professor i mainly struggle to study the um 19th century U.S. with a little bit of Europe and Latin America as well. So my, I'm, I, uh, I teach Latin America every once in a while here. So, uh, yeah, 19th century history is kind of what I do. And so the 1619 Project has launched our field into um, maybe a, a level of attention I'd prefer we not have uh, right. because it's become so political. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so that, that's mainly what I teach around here, Jacksonian era, uh, the Civil War, and uh, Western Civ and um, American American History, the American History Survey. So uh, we're, our hands are full. Our students are wonderful. So it's the best possible place to be a, a historian of American religion and uh, and uh, slavery. And a good time because just when we need it most. Uh, it's great to know that 19th century America is your expertise. This is a nice code of the week. Just yesterday, I was interviewing a. Uh, a writer named John Cribb, who just put out a new biography of Abraham Lincoln. So this is this is a wonderful a wonderful coda, and the timing is perfect not only for your piece at National Review, but for your 
joining us. Let, let me start there with kind of something you said, the importance of teaching American history and the thirst that your students have for it. The thing I worry most about, Professor, is the perversion of American history. And I guess we can all identify the reasons why it can get perverted or why there is a direct assault on it. But it is eminently true at the end of the day that it comes to us for a very specific reason. C.S. Lewis put it that uh, to miseducate a child is to leave them more subject to propaganda as an adult. And it seems to me there is no question but that there is an investment in perverting and distorting American history, revising it, so that a certain leftist, I would call it neo-Marxist, I'll leave whatever you want to call it to you, neo-Marxist perspective, there, there, there is a, a need to have engaged in an iconoclasm of American history, a tearing down of it and a rewriting of it, so as to, to put it bluntly, almost encourage a hatred towards America. I don't know if you agree with any of that, but I'll let you respond to it however you'd like. Well, no, I, 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 I think the, the, the part uh, that what you said that rings most true with me is the, icon- the iconoclasm. Um, the, the fact of the matter is you know, throughout history, societies have improved um, through kind of self-awareness, and sometimes that takes big events like a war. Sometimes sure. it takes uh, something like the, you know who, who knows the civil rights movement. Let us say, for example, right? Y- yeah, 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 absolutely. The right. civil rights movement right. is, is a good example of those things. And so, what's interesting is most societies kind of build um, on their history, right? And so, something that might not have been what it should is built on. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the United States in our own era, there seems to be a disposition to sort of say anything that doesn't measure up to what we feel like. Uh, is, is the standard of morality, uh, whatever you want to call it, standard of, of democracy. You can use all these sort of words and it's meaning the same thing these days. Um, we need to tear it down mm-hmm. because it, it's almost a quest for ideological purity. Mm-hmm. And anything that isn't ideologically pure has to be torn down. And so I think what's happened is uh, history is is not... Uh, it is being perverted in some ways. I think more worrisome is it, it's being destroyed. Actually, the narrative of history is being taken away from, from students. They're being made to sort of do what's essentially just socio-moral catechesis. We tell you these things, you get angry about it, or you or you don't get angry about it. That's how you sort of check mark yourself as a as an American citizen. Um, so it's not so much about learning as it is sort of shaping what we might call, uh, you know, socio-moral standards for the moment. And, of course, those always change, and a, and a thoughtful society builds on the change. Uh, our own has chosen to destroy things, which I think is the most worrisome thing that's going on in my field, at least uh, these days. Yes, I think that's right. Uh, there's this line I seized on in in the novelist Milan Kundera's book uh, on laughter and forgetting. He says the struggle of man against power is the struggle of memory against forgetting. And it does seem there's an investment in a, almost some kind of amnesia here. I'll jump into the 1619 Nicole Hannah-Jones project on that very point. But I guess when I first started noticing it a few years ago when it was making noise and she was painting slavery as the entire narrative of American history, 
I realized that this was not really new. It almost seemed as if she was writing the same history of what we used to call the lost cause narrative. The idea, mm. right? <laughs> the idea, the ideas that she was saying about America's founding, seventeen seven, early in the mid to late seventeen seventies. You could find that. It's just that you found that in the losing side of the American South. You found that with John Calhoun. You found that with the Jefferson Davis and Alexander Stevens and uh, and and Roger Taney versions of American history. That it was not really much more than her embracing their narrative rather than the majority narrative that ultimately prevailed. I don't know if you think there's any merit to that thought. Well, no, that, that's absolutely true. I think one of the things you realize is that um, it's basically flipping the script. Okay. Uh, that's what the 69th done. It's, Nicely put, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's flipping the script. It's saying, you know what? It was really all about slavery. And because it was all about slavery, American history has been mostly bad. And that is, is, is pretty different. Actually, what's funny is I am a Southerner right. um, and, had, uh, and have sort of lived a good portion of my life around the legacy of, of, of race and slavery. Um, that folks say where I live in Michigan haven't. Um, but what's interesting is, like, even the story of the American South is one where they lost. Right. The right. South lost. And because they lost, every sort of time that they sort of might try to fight for continued quality or something, they may make a little progress, but the weight of the American uh, regime was always against them. Yeah. The weight of American, the American regime was on the side of freedom. Right. Um, and so time and time and time again, actually, even when people might sort of try to, 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 to have some last gasp of, of racist action, be it at the state level or at local levels, eventually, somehow, some way, uh, it doesn't win. Yeah, the rest of America <laughs> defeated it. The majority of America yeah. said no to the minority, which Nicole Hannah-Jones seems to want to make our entire narrative, right? Yeah, right. So yeah. What, what she wants to do is to actually make uh, the South, the nation. Yes, right. Hold that Hold that thought real quick. I, I just got to take a quick commercial break. This is such an important Absolutely. point you're on the cusp of. Thank you very much. Uh, Professor Miles Smith, Miles Smith the fourth from Hillsdale College is our guest. Of course, you can go to hillsdale.edu to uh, learn more about him. But check out his piece at uh, nationalreview.com. Uh, it, really important. Who Lose Slick 1619 documentary. Can't save shoddy history. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Professor Miles Smith, the fourth from Hillsdale College is our guest. His uh, most recent piece is on this uh, Hulu documentary, or maybe I might call it a mockumentary, uh, on the 1619 Project and uh, his piece at National Review on that. Professor Smith, you were just about to make a point about Nicole Hannah-Jones's reg, uh, and the 1619 uh, Project's rendering of American history as if slavery was the entire narrative of the majority of America or all of America. And I, we had to hit the break, so pick it up wherever you would like or begin it again if you'd like Yeah, I, I, I think it's just important to realize that there's been substantive areas of, of the United States where chattel slavery uh, – didn't have the type of influence that it had in the American South, and therefore the sort of attaching um, the problems of inequality or racism immediately to the South uh, 
um, is problematic because usually what it means is uh, you're not actually dealing with, for example, a local policy issue. I think of like Minnesota is a good example with the George Floyd stuff. There okay. were so many uh, pieces I would read that sort of traced what was going on in Minneapolis back to the South, which is which is crazy. If you have some sort of conception, you mentioned C.S. Lewis, who was a good commentator on 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 just the nature of human beings. If if in as so much as human beings. Um, are imperfect beings. It means that they're always going to have their societies are going to be flawed. Uh, racism and inequality and those things will be cooked up in a variety of different societies. You don't have to have the American South uh, to to have a racist society. You don't even have to have the American South to have even a single instance of racism. Mm-hmm. And so, what you realize is by con- constantly litigating uh, race and slavery or ra- race and inequality in our own time on the paradigm of the American South, what you're doing is trying to attach anything to something that you know people are going to dislike. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of a move to do policy mm-hmm. instead of history. Mm-hmm. Um, people are mad about uh, you know a variety of different things. Uh, law enforcement's relationship with race, or race and uh, income levels, race and policy, whatever it is. So what you do is you say, okay, I want people to sign on to my answer for it. How can I do that? Paint it with the the stripe of the American South. And if you want to sort of overturn a lot of stuff that is good about the United States, and you know that people are going to sort of put up a fight against it, what do you do? You slander it with the American South. Right. And so this is where your point about Marxism is important. What's really going on with the 1619 Project isn't really about slavery. It's, it's about sort of the... the, the the baseline foundations of the American regime in general, things like individual rights, things like the freedoms we have. And if you can tie those things to slavery, you can get a lot of poor, more people to say, oh, maybe we do need to take down everything that we like about America. Maybe that's flawed. Maybe that's imbalanced. Um, and so what, what's happening here is it's, it's really not about slavery uh, at all. It's about something else. Your, your term Marxism may be closer to the mark. I don't know enough of what uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones believes and knows she's an out-and-out Marxist, but that's the disposition, yeah. that the United States needs to be overthrown because it was a particularly immoral regime. Um, and if you, you can convince people that the United States is somehow a synonym for the historical bad guys, like the American South, you can make your point at least a little bit better uh, and more efficiently to people who might not be as well catechized on things like the Constitution yeah. as they should be. Right. So we stop teaching the Constitution, we stop teaching the Declaration, and then in that vacuum you can give Nicole Hannah-Jones's rendering of history, which doesn't even meet really the standards of lived experience. You make reference to this. I think this this is a poignant point, and, and you tell me if your thoughts on it. You make reference to the story of her dad, who was an Army veteran uh, from Vietnam era, who flies the American flag in his yard and takes exquisite care of it, following all the rules in protecting and protecting and strictures in, in, in raising and lowering that flag. And one day, Nicole Hannah-Jones comes home from school and says, this flag is not ours. We should stop flying it. So she is a young schoolgirl. Uh, in a much less racist time than her dad would have lived in, just perforce, 
right? Because her dad is older and would have lived probably in a much more racially antagonistic time. Yet he's proud to wave the American flag. She comes home having learned in school, bad idea. It starts maybe before the colleges. She learned in school and is instructing her dad on the on 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 how he's wrong for still thinking this is his country. To me, that's a that's a poignant story and maybe a poignant point as well. An elementary school is teaching an army veteran from a more racist period who was still proud of this country that he should not be. I don't know if you draw the similar lesson. Oh, I do. I think um, I'm 39, and one of the first Super Bowls I remember was the Super Bowl that happened in the aftermath of the Gulf War. You probably know the one I'm talking about. Uh-huh. Uh, and like everybody who sort of was watching the Super Bowl, we got this magnificent version of the National Anthem, still my favorite, still the one that completely moves me, um, by this beautiful black woman uh, named Whitney Houston. Mm-hmm. And here you have sort of the, 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 all the imagery of, of the United States and what it is to be an American, the National Anthem, football, things like that, sort of being carried through the voice of a black woman who seemed to have no qualms. Not a compunction. She owned it. I remember the commentary was she owned the National Anthem that year, yeah. 1991, owned, I'm guessing. Yeah, right. Owned the National Anthem. Yeah. And I was, uh, I was thinking about uh, the 1619 project project as I was writing this, and I, I saw a, a video. Somebody is somebody an African-American home, I think outside of New Jersey, uh, where, where, near where Whitney Houston was from, and someone had happened to be recording uh-huh. this in, you know, there in 1991, and it was black men and women who were enormously proud of their national anthem, and that were enormously proud of a black woman for singing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think that we've, we've changed. We, we, we're somehow no longer okay with the historical process of, of freedom, right? Um, we're not we're not okay with with humans. I right. mean, this, this is the fact of the matter. It's like human history is not a narrative of everything being perfect. Right when people oh, it's a it's a long trail of tears. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes, correct, right. It's, it's messy, and so by sort of obliterating all the history of the United States between 1776, or in this case, 1619, and 2023, by saying everything that didn't match up to what we think it should be in 2023, you've actually not just obliterated history, you haven't just obliterated the history of black freedom in that time span, you've obliterated humans, too. Yes. And so what, yes. What, yeah, what hold, hold that thought. Yeah, let me take the commercial break. Let's Let's talk about obliterating humans, too. And and the notion, I guess, that we have to live with that for some reason we're in a better place of understanding this in 1991, you know, 20 years before we elect the first black president than we are, you know, several years after. How does that work? How does history regress rather than progress? We will talk uh, about this more with Miles Smith, uh, professor at Hillsdale, when we come right back. Professor Miles Smith IV is a professor of history at Hillsdale College, and he's talking to us about uh, his piece in National Review, Hulu's Slick 1619 Documentary Can't Save 
Nicole Hannah-Jones's shoddy history. Professor, you're making a point about human beings and human understanding right before the break. Feel free to pick up where you left off, however you like. Yeah, I, I, I think that um, the essential goal of the 1619 Project is to basically say that there's still inequality, there's still racism, and therefore anything that isn't actuating what in this case, Nicole Hannah-Jones thinks is the appropriate paradigm, be it politically, socially, culturally, to actuate perfect societal harmony, or more specifically in this case, not necessarily harmony, but to elevate African-Americans um, and to be sure to let everybody know that it, that, that their, their mistreatment was the fault of white Americans. Anybody who doesn't jump on that cause is a problem. And Attached to that is the notion that any sort of historical movement, any sort of moment, any institution, anything that was sort of providing a stepping stone, well, the stepping stones aren't enough because they're not what we need to get to. And so you end up forgetting actually stories of emancipation, right? stories of freedom. And those are all real. Yes, the story of slavery is real. I'm from the South, and even here at Hillsdale, we tell students, about the reality of, 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 of chattel slavery. We don't hide it. But what the problem is, is to totally forget the story of the, the history of emancipation, mm-hmm. um, which is also real. Mm-hmm. That's what bothers me the most. And you saw this perhaps a little bit. Are you familiar with this thing going around from Disney Plus uh, where they talk about uh, this little cartoon production they've done? Abraham Lincoln didn't free the slaves. Emancipation isn't freedom. You know, to say things like that is to disagree with people who at the time might have known a little better, like Harriet Beecher Stowe or Frederick Douglass, who said exactly the opposite. I mean, it really is, I guess, a literal revision of history. Um, it's, it's a grafting of a political point of view into and onto events that simply weren't true at the time or weren't true until five minutes ago, Professor? Yeah, I think that probably when we think about um, some of the claims being made, one of the interesting things is to think about what Southerners thought yes. about the history of yes. the patient. Yes. And they were really, really, really worried about it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's perhaps the reason why the Civil War happens is most Southerners are pretty sure that they are the minority. In fact, there's a book. It's very old. It's written by a man named Jesse T. Carpenter back in the uh, middle of the 20th century. It's called The South is a Conscious Minority. Okay. And what you realize is they knew that their time was coming. Yeah. More and more, more free states were going to join the Union, which meant that at some point there would be enough free states to pass an amendment to the Constitution, right. killing them. And so what they need to do, they need to get out of the Union while they could, mm-hmm. because all of the states that we know do become free states, right. what we think of as the American West. Mm-hmm. They were going to come in as free states, and they would eventually have eventually killed slavery. So guess what? Southerners are worried about the freedom agenda. In fact, they're so worried about it, they leave the Union over it. Yep. That's right. And the other part to this, and maybe we can pick up on this. This was a short segment in our next and ultimate segment, a little bit longer, Professor. Maybe we can pick up a little bit on the notion that 
whether this is an ideological emphasis or not, I mean, every historian writes with a certain emphasis. No doubt you emphasize certain things you care about and and um, periods of time you think more interesting than others. There's no question every historian will emphasize. But the thing that bothers and perhaps tugs the worst is that, back to the title of your piece, the 1619 Project, if all you learn about America is from that, and a lot of people will because it's been given the imprimatur of the New York Times and now, of course, Hulu and, and the series Hulu puts out, a lot of it is just simply wrong. It's just simply false, and you don't have to go to conservative professors to figure that out, uh, professors who might be considered on the liberal side of things, like uh, perhaps, I don't know, Gordon Wood or Sean Willens, have denounced this stuff. And yet on and on, Nicole Hannah-Jones, who herself is not a historian, I shall say, she is a professional journalist, on and on she continues to revise. Let me have you pick up on, on that, that point, that it's inventing and reinventing the past really more than anything else, with Professor Miles Smith, Miles Smith IV, from Hillsdale College. We'll do that when we come right back. It's not just bad history, it's wrong history. Professor Miles Smith IV has been very generous with his time as well as his scholarship. He's a professor of history at Hillsdale College and most recent piece over at National Review, we've been discussing Hulu's slick 1619 documentary, Can't Save Nicole Hannah-Jones's shoddy history uh professor not just that it's uh not just that it's 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 bad history but it's wrong history i mean she gets a lot wrong and a lot of very credible professors from the more liberal side of things have tried to point this out correct yeah i think i think that the most concerning thing has sort of been taking um an individual action that she she must read about in some way, and then sort of um, inserting it in a chronology or a narrative where it doesn't really fit. Um, And so what what you end up doing is, it it would be essentially, um, if I were to take uh, the the fact that someone had gotten married and someone had children, and if I put them in the sequence of someone got married and had children, it's a very different thing than if I say someone (laughs) had children. And got married. That's clever. Um, and so, uh, and and your neighbors would feel like it was a very different thing. So, what you have is sort of doing. Um, it's almost like creating a mosaic. Yeah. Uh, with the narrative of human history, um, and the problem is narratives aren't mosaic. Narratives have to move, uh, are bound to move if they're accurate uh, narratives, uh, according to uh, a certain sequence mm-hmm. um, that where they happened in time and in space, and so. With with sort of um, a bit of dexterity, you end up telling a story that looks and sounds and then points to something very different um, than you might if you followed more traditional scholarship and more traditional methodology. Uh, most importantly, so yeah, that that that's that's well put. I, I that's that's a really well done. That's a really good way to put it. Someone's married and had children. Someone got married. Someone had children. One of the things we will hear from the popular culture defenders of the 1619 Project is that people such as yourself, forgive me the slur, people such as myself, 
um, are trying to keep black history out of our schools. Far from it. I mean, you and I, I guess, grew up in different regions, and maybe the emphases and the textbooks were different. But I grew up with, you know, American history textbooks that were basically written by, I don't know, New Deal Democrats, probably Henry Steele Commager, uh, people like that. Uh, who was the other one? The guy from Harvard who was such the Samuel Elliott Morrison. Right. Uh, I, I, I got to tell you, um, I knew all this stuff. This is not new to me. They wrote this stuff. It's not as if a major corrective was needed. It's not as if the story of other minorities, particularly in this case, the story of African-Americans was neglected. They're well covered in that stuff in those books of yore. Maybe, maybe you know, in Daniel Borston's work, maybe not enough or maybe not enough for a certain understanding. And maybe there's a few things that have improved the understanding. But I'm just trying to say here, I guess, I'm not trying to deprive anyone of anyone's history here. I just wish we could teach what we grew up knowing, which was an awful lot about it. This idea that we didn't know the African-American story in American history is itself a myth, is I guess what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I think that's right. I think um, so much of, I'm I'm just old enough to kind of, I think, have been catechized in the same sort of, uh, we can call it, I, I think your your word kind of New Deal yeah. um, uh, uh, sort of polemic is important. Yeah, um, I, I, they weren't quite progressives because they were a little old-fashioned, but yeah, in that era certainly is when they were writing. Uh, yeah, go ahead. And so not only do you have that, but you have the fact that the stories we told ourselves through telemedia, uh, through print media, uh, tended to be aimed at a, a certain societal tell-off. And that tell-off was that freedom is good, yep. uh, individual are good, um, and that racism is bad because usually what it means is somebody's freedoms are being taken away. Right. Um, that it might not have carried far enough over into a celebration of, of black society. That's a fair criticism. Um, but uh, what I think is interesting is that, that I don't know if that's what the, the 1619 Project's doing either. In my piece, I know that maybe the, the, the only episode I really came away with thinking, at, oh, I learned something, was the, the sort of, one that focused on the the message that was least sixteen nineteen ish, and that was on music. <laughs> yes, uh, yes, yeah, I liked how you did that. By the way, that was well done. Yeah. And so um, I, I think what you what you really have is is, is the necessity of praising black contributions to American life. That 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 is really important, um, and something that should be done, of course, regularly. Of course, I'm I'm not sure that um, that that there's anything actually that adds to our appreciation for the black experience if we litigate um, race and slavery over and over and over again as the only experience black people can offer to the rest of the country. But that's not true. African-American literature, African-American music, um, African-American rhetorical uh, ability, all of these things are things that enrich the life of the republic. And so I would like to see those celebrated. I would like uh, to as well. That's a nice point. And I, and I forgot that you, yes, I'm glad you brought that up because we don't seem to emphasize that enough, particularly from the angle of the 1619 Project. It's, it's immensely true, what particularly the contribution to music and culture of the African-American or black experience was. And they tend to water it down or ignore it, don't they? 
yeah, it, well, it's not it's not talked about quite as much as 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 one might like, and right. so I think all of these things are are, are important. Um, when we get to the point though that we're sort of um, trying to do politics, it, it strikes me as a lot of this is actually very political. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it's 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 about things that are programmatic, not necessarily about even uh, the, the a faithful narrative of Black life in the United States. It seems to be more about uh, pushing uh, sort of partisan um, even uh, talking points and less about the, the life of African Americans and what they do bring yep. to the United States. Exactly right. And, uh, th- and, 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 you know, that story really does need to be emphasized further. It, there's almost an odd, uh, almost an odd and perverse, perverse effort to suppress it from the from the from the defenders of the 1619 project, if you will, again, to show that the African American experience was not welcome here, and that the positive contributions um, were non extant or non existent when they very much were. You've done a great service, um, obviously, to your students uh, individually and collectively, Professor Smith, uh, with this piece you wrote for National Review. Um, I want to thank you uh, for doing all of that and continuing your teaching. Um, if there's a corrective to bad history, it's good history. If there's a corrective to bad teaching, it's good teaching. And I appreciate that you are engaged in those correctives, sir. And thank you for your time as well. Oh, thank you very much, Seth. Have a great rest of the afternoon. You betcha. And I hope this can be a down payment uh, for the first of many return visits. Professor Miles Smith, Miles Smith the Fourth from Hillsdale College. Thanks for joining us, sir. I'm Seth, and I'll be right back. Y'all have been hearing me talk some time now about why refi, and if you still have questions uh, about what uh, investing with them uh, can do and yield for you, they have a lot of uh, very happily delighted and satisfied customers in the Phoenix area who have invested with them and done very, very well. They'd be just as happy and delighted to put you in touch with them. You can call Y-Refi at 888-Y-REFI-34. And think about your IRA for a moment. Would you like your IRA to be earning strong fixed interest rates and not be dependent on the stock market or even the Fed? Did you know you can invest with Y-Refi through an IRA or other qualified funds and you can keep your investment, including the high fixed interest rates you earn, tax-deferred? That's right. Your money can stay in your IRA and you don't have to pay taxes on the income you earn. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y, R-E-F-Y dot com. Or give them a call at 888-Y-REFI-34. 888-Y-REFI-34. Yeah, that's that's an important interview that we just did with the, um, with the professor because as I guess we have touched on thematically throughout the week, history really is, and the understanding of our own history really is perhaps the most important thing. It is what every tyranny or tyrannical movement, usually in the name of some form of Marxism or some form of fascism, it's the first thing they try and tear down. That's why I say it's really about iconoclasm, and it's why it strikes so strongly within the soul when we see things like book burnings or things like riots that tear down statues 
of historical figures, or we take the names of the truly innocent off of our schools, like Frederick Douglass or Abraham Lincoln, because somewhere in the back of even the heads of those who don't follow these things closely, somewhere in the back of those heads or deep in the soul, we see something redolent of one of those revolutionary Marxist or fascist movements. We see or are reminded of the kinds of things we read in George Orwell's 1984 with the erasure and the important of the erasure of the past. Once you erase it, you can distort it and pervert it. And once you distort it and pervert it, you can distort further and pervert further the country. Of course, once you distort and pervert the country, you distort and pervert its citizens. We don't need more distortion and perversion here. It's quite enough of draining swamps right now. The task here is to irrigate forests. I'm Seth Leapson. Thanks for spending some of uh, this hour with us. We have a lot more coming up, something interesting in the next hour, and uh, we'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 